I'm Matthew McCabe. Welcome to Miracle Voices. Each episode, we will be delving into stories of forgiveness, healing, and transformation that have come about from integrating the principles of the book, A Course in Miracles. If you want to learn more about A Course in Miracles, visit www.acim.org. If you'd like to visit the Miracle Voices site, please go to www.miraclevoices.org. If you feel inspired to make a love offering, please visit us at miraclevoices.org forward slash donate. All donations go support the work of the Foundation for Inner Peace, the publisher of A Course in Miracles. Now here's your program. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Miracle Voices. I'm Matthew McCabe, here with my co-host, Judy Scutch-Whitson. Judy, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thanks, Matt, and really looking forward to this podcast. Yes, me too. Jeffrey Kosker, welcome to Miracle Voices. How are you doing today? Very well. Thank you for having me. Great. I have so many questions I want to ask you. You're doing really cool things, Jeffrey. But before we get started, why don't you tell us where you are in the world? Where are you sitting right now? Well, right now I find myself in Nevada, uh, South Reno. I had moved here about a year and a half ago, and uh, this is where I currently call home. Okay, and I've is said a fire, is a fire near you. Um, there's there's fires that are about an hour or so away in South yeah. Tahoe, but uh, haven't affected us here. Oh, good. And I've said Nevada a couple times in the past, and I'm always corrected by locals that it's Nevada is the correct that fat a. Is yeah. the right way to say it. I'm from the East Coast, so it took me a few months to to line up with the Nevada. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where, where did you come from in the East Coast? Uh, I grew up in Connecticut. I uh, spent the first uh, 40 years of my life in Connecticut with minor excursions, but for the most part, generally didn't leave New England very much. Okay. We're in, we're in Connecticut. I'm getting really detailed here because I lived in <laughs> Connecticut too. Right in the center. In fact, if you put an X through the state, it would be the direct center. There's a little monument very close to uh, where I lived. It's uh-huh. Cromwell, about 20 minutes south of Hartford. I know where that is. Mm. I had a, we had my husband and I had a summer place for all our children, and we would leave New York City gladly and go to uh, Lake Candlewood. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, I just love that we traveled up through Connecticut. Well, you were picked two good, very good places. <laughs> sure. I can't take the credit for this one, but. <laughs> well, Jeff, tell us how A Course in Miracles came into your life. Yeah. Um, so it was uh, about eight years ago. I, uh, I had a shift in my life and went into a 12-step recovery program. And as a result of that program, I had a profound experience what later to find out uh, that the course calls revelation. And I was in a, I was, you know, into a lot of the spiritual books right at the beginning. It's like, you know, it's a flood of these books coming in. Well, the course of miracles kept showing up. I bought it. I didn't open it up. I actually opened it up to, uh, to the first lesson uh, and arrogantly said, yeah, well, no kidding, nothing. Like I had this profound spiritual awakening. I'm like, yeah, I know that. Kind of set it on the shelf. But about three weeks later, I walked into a uh, a 12-step room and a gentleman walked in that there was this instant connection with. I mean, my heart was just like, who is this guy? And don't you know, he just got out of prison that day. Oh. He stood up and when he shared, he spoke the language of the heart. And I was like, so I went right up to him afterwards. And, you know, he said a few things that kind of actually were, 
you know, he studied A Course in Miracles in prison. And then uh, I didn't know this at the time, but we just talked and I said, hey, man, let's get together. I said, let's read a book together. We were going to read uh, some of Emmett Fox's books. And so I went home and I had my computer open and he called me and I was looking up where I could find a Course of Miracles group because I knew nothing about it. I was like so fresh to it. And he called me to ask, hey, have you ever heard of a Course of Miracles? I said, bro, I'm on the computer right now looking up how to uh, join one of these meetup groups. And so he said, let's read it together. So we got together, um, sat by the Salmon River, which I'm sure you're familiar with, Judy, if you went through yes, Connecticut. I am. And we went and we set up a couple of chairs and we sat there with the book. And that was the first time I opened it up with another person, you know, where two or more joined. And it was quite a spiritual experience, just that, you know, I was able to share uh, or try to share. I know they're highly personal, those uh, spiritual experiences, but it was the first time I was able to open up and, and share it with someone else. And he immediately said, hey, you need to read this, this, and this. And he directed me to uh, Gary's books. And so over the next week, I read all of Gary's books. And then I found out that there was going to be a Course in Miracles conference run by Tony and the um, Miracle Center there in Manhattan, which was only two hours away. So about a week and a half, two weeks after I opened A Course in Miracles, I was on my way to Manhattan for the first Course in Miracles conference for me. And that's where I started to meet everyone. Uh, the first person I saw talk was uh, David Hoffmeister, who later became uh, a big part of my journey. And uh, that's kind of how it came into my life and it and unfolded rapidly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love, I love these stories that we, people give us their, their paths. In, in just the beginning, just as you started. And it brings up so many things that come into so many people. Just when you're ready, it happens. <laughs> you weren't ready three weeks before, but then he went to an AA meeting. And just the, the, the sanctity almost of the relationship of you recognizing, I put that in quotes, this other man and you two becoming study partners yeah. is is. I've heard this so many times and it happened to me too. So mm. I can really appreciate how important that is. And it's, you know, one of the great lessons of the course, um, nothing is by accident. Mm -hmm. Everyone you meet has something specific to do with your life. It's mm. all part of the greater plan. And thank God it is. Yes. I still, uh, I still speak weekly with that gentleman. We, we connect uh, every week. So it's been, it's been quite a blessing, that relationship. Jeffrey, can you talk a little bit about the circumstances that led up to the revelatory experience and what was kind of going on? You said you were, you were kind of entering a 12-step program then, but can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah. I, um, so like I had shared, I spent the first uh, 39 years of my life in uh, Connecticut and my life led to, you know, it was completely based in the material world. But of course, it led to um, serious discontentment, which was covered over with drugs and alcohol. And when I finally, you know, said the three hardest words, which is, <laughs> which I think is one of the lessons uh, in this lifetime for me is, uh, I need help. And, uh, you know, I would never accept that before. And I so said those words to my father, actually. And uh, weeks later, he brought me up to Kent, Connecticut. And there's a 12-step uh, recovery facility there. And for whatever reason, when I went in there, I was ready. And, um, you know, they say it's darkest before the dawn. Those first, uh, those first nights were extremely terrifying for me. And I knew I was letting go of something, something big or something was happening. 
But for me, um, what really happened, I think, was, uh, you know, I always thought I was, you know, I had all this shame and guilt and remorse around the things I had done in regards to my drug and alcohol abuse. And I thought I was choosing to do those things <laughs> on a conscious level. I thought I'm a bad person because I was choosing these things. When it was laid out to me, I sat in a, uh, I sat in basically it was a family orientation. And so for the two weeks prior up to that point, I had been doing the work at the facility. I was, you know, ready to follow directions for the first time in my life um, as they're laid out in the 12 step book. And I just started to experience, um, you know, little synchronicities and a sense of a flow of the spirit. But it was really the weekend that I sat in this uh, room with my mother and father flanking me as we listened to this presenter talk about um, alcoholism and drug addiction as a disease. And when she said the words, every alcoholic and drug addict has one thing in common. I remember sitting in the chair and hearing my ego like, what is she talking about? <laughs> you know. And sure enough, she turns to a slide and a slide comes up on the screen that shows a pencil drawing of a man with his, almost like the um, screenshot I have here, a man with his hands in his, um, you know, in his, in his head in his hands, just defeated. And the line just said, I'm not enough. And when I read that for the, that time, you know, the two weeks prior, I had dropped my guard enough to let that arrow into my heart. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> this is what's going on underneath it all. And so there was a crack. And over the next 24 hours, that crack grew into a canyon. And I just started to let go. And this idea of letting go of choice, which is a big, big thing. And, you know, people fight for that in recovery. And I was able to see that, well, maybe I was. And then the next thought that came into my mind was maybe I'm not choosing anything. And my mind just started to, <laughs> to blow open along with my, my heart. The following day, I sat in the, uh, the same room and the woman was speaking about enabling. And so she's speaking to the parents and the friends. And, and I was hearing this stuff for the first time. And I held both my parents' hands in that room for the first time. My father uh, wasn't very affectionate. And I grabbed his hand and my mother's hand. And I said the words, uh, I said, everything's going to be all right. And I mean, I meant it from the bottom of my heart. I knew there had been a shift in my mind and, you know, they kind of looked at me and about 15 minutes later, she read the 12 steps. And when she read the 12th step, I had, um, you know, this, uh, this was the first part of it. You know, this energy just flushed through me, the catharsis. I mean, tears just, there's nothing you can do. They just come up. And I just started to cry. And this energy flowed through my body. And I was like, and I literally turned to my mother. I went, my God's real. And she goes, I know, I know. I said, if you knew, you'd never worry again. And I just sat and I cried. And what happened in that moment for me and looking back was I was given purpose. I didn't have a purpose in my entire life. And when she read the 12th step of recovery, which is having had a spiritual uh, awakening, we carried this message to the still sick and suffering. And so I said, oh, my God, my last 40 years can be used for something. And so that was the beginning of, uh, I walked around, I call the, the next uh, <laughs> hours, my Eckhart Tolle experience where I was walking through snowing in upstate Connecticut. And I looked at everything as if I was seeing it for the first time. You know, there was, uh, there was no past, everything the course talks about. I was able to wash some of this stuff away with the process of uh, the fourth step and looking at the, uh, turning the idea that I'm a victim of the world to uh, 
wait, I, you know, I am doing this to myself, you know, the salvation the course talks about. And so that all just kind of, you know, resonated and everything was happening. I walked around for about four hours that night and we watched a movie that night. It was August rush and my heart just swelled because if you've ever watched that movie, it's about hearing the internal guide. And I went back to my room and I sat in my room and I sat at the edge of my bed and I didn't realize it wasn't a formal third step the way it's written in the 12 step book, but I sat there and I surrendered my life to a degree. And I can only (laughs) attribute to this, that I was already vibrating at this, like, I was like, just feeling, you know, the presence of the spirit rushing through me. And I said, whatever you'll have me do, I'm yours, whatever you'll have me be, if I'm supposed to give up my life. And at the time I said, for these people, uh, meaning alcoholics and, uh, you know, drug addicts and so forth, I said, if I'm supposed to give up my life for these people, so be it. When I said the word, so be it, it seemed to happen from my chest, but it was the world disappeared and, you know, it's the great raise. There's no words beyond that point. Um, you know, I've tried to, <laughs> I've tried to put it into words unsuccessfully, you know, many times. And, you know, there's a lot of aspects that coming back from that experience, which it, you know, over the days, as I tried to acclimate back, I mean, it was a week later that really I was able to you know, kind of communicate with people or, you know, it was really, um, it was really profound, but the, the rushing back to darkness part when the ego. And I mean, it's almost as when I started to read the course, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Like, yes, the second of coming is the, you know, the recognition in the mind and the fall of man is the belief in separation. It's almost like I had experienced it, um, you know, the dissociation and everything coming back. And it was terrifying, actually, um, coming back to who I thought I was, and you know, coming back to this little person. But for some reason, you know, I actually share with people, I have two tattoos on my back that I got, um, about four years before that experience. And it says, Lord, grant me the vision of a falcon and the strength of two bulls. And I believe those prayers were answered. I was given vision and I was given the strength to return to what I, who I thought I was, was at the time. So that was kind of how it, uh, it happened for me. Wow, that's incredible. Jeffrey can't tell you how many people, including myself, you know, have this 12 step background that leads into uh, a course in miracles and it's just, it's really profound how that's, that's happened. And they kind of, they dovetail together, uh, the mm. AA book and the 12 step books with, uh, with the course in miracles, the principles in in many regards, um, Judy, do you have any comments or questions? Yeah. I'm sort of, as the British would say, gobsmacked because, yeah. uh, it's such a powerful story and so meaningful and, touches upon some of the things I've experienced directly and some of the things other people have talked about in this podcast series, how well prepared we are and don't even know it for Hmm. that. Please help me. How well prepared we are. If we didn't go through all of that, look what we would have missed. Hmm. And some people go through life sleepwalking and don't ask those questions and don't have those terrible downs and then eventually if they're really blessed those very high highs but we all know what it means we all have a sense of that connection we all have a sense of wanting to go home even though the words sound funny because home usually means a place where we live but in truth the place where we live in truth is common to all of us it's a symbol of our oneness so hearing 
this tale of yours up till now, um, it just is so opening. You know, I feel that I'm wide open and I want to hear more. <laughs> well, let's, let's hear some more. Jeffrey, tell us about your forgiveness story with your dad, if you would. Yeah. <clears throat> so my relationship with my father was, you know, one of my, and my other <laughs> biggest lesson in this lifetime. And it's interesting that he was the one, you know, that I went to, to ask for help in that, um, that time of need. But I worked for my father for, uh, for 22 years, uh, up until that point when I left work, when I, uh, he came to 12 step me, we call it on that Friday. And I went to that place in Kent, Connecticut. I never went back to work again. I, I thought I was going back Monday to continue my life, but that's not the way it happened. Um, you know, the spirit had other plans, but there was always this underlying stuff. You know, my father uh, wasn't a very emotional man, um, very distant at about 11 years old. I, I remember, I don't know if I was 11 or maybe, yeah, around that time, I was walking up the stairs and I asked my father the question. I said, uh, hey, pop, what happens when we die? And he told me that we rot in the ground and I believed my father and I was terrified from that moment forward. I had a, a whole different outlook on the world. And so all that stuff kind of started to change, you know, through this experience. Well, my relationship with my father, uh, you know, I went back and I had to explain to him, I said, listen, dad, I don't think I'm ever coming back to work again after 22 years. And, you know, I had this deep belief that uh, my father was trying to control my life. You know, I have an authority. I had a huge one and it's getting better, the authority problem. But I had that deep belief with my father and all I ever did was seek for his love and approval. And it took me into working for him for 22 years when it wasn't my passion. I went to a, I went to a college I didn't want to go to because he said, why don't you go to business school and run the business? And I said, okay, because I desperately um, wanted his approval. And so as this process of healing started, um, you know, he, he didn't understand uh, at the beginning, nor did I really, but he supported me. And, you know, there was still some of the elements of that belief in my mind that he wanted to control my life, but Hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? And so every week he would have me, he would say, I want you to come over on Wednesday. You got to have dinner with your mother. You owe it to her. And you know, all this. So literally for my whole life, I went there every Wednesday night for dinner. And every night I went there, there was a little list next to my the spot I sat <laughs> with insurance and all these questions. Well, if you're not going to work, how are you going to do this? And so there was still some healing around that. I went to a retreat um, in Mexico uh, with the Living Miracles community, and I sat um, for about four days in my room, and I really used the tools, um, you know, the levels of mind that they have, the turnarounds, and the different things that were given to question these beliefs in our mind. And I went after that one. I said, okay, I want to change. I want to be wrong about my father wants to control my life. And I wrote it down and, you know, and I'm going through it. And there, I had so much rationalization at that point that I was like, well, you know, and I forced myself, you know, in the work of Byron Katie and those things uh, to do the turnarounds of coming up with examples of how he didn't or how I want to, and all that stuff. And it took me days to come up with three. It literally did. And I went through it and nothing profound happened in my awareness at the moment. It wasn't like pop while wow, I feel better. But don't you know that when I returned home after that week, he never asked me to come to dinner again. I went there by, by my own volition. 
the list was gone, my experience was starting to change. I was like, wait a minute, this stuff actually works, you know, and it was really incredible. And then I started noticing things, my father asking me for advice. He wasn't the type of guy that asked for advice. And so this continued. um, And certainly when I um, left the East Coast and I I went and lived uh, in a spiritual community setting for, for many years and you know, he would ask me at the beginning, he'll call me every week in this. And then I started to see he continued my my belief went from he's trying to control that he's trying to support me. You know, I realized he's the biggest angel I have on this planet. And, you know, he would continue to pay me. I literally have moments that's, hey, listen, I don't need the credit card for gas anymore. I'm taking care of God's got me, you know, but I started to this whole, you know, lifetime uh, obsession with that belief began to shift. And Still, there was there was a desire to be understood or approved um, because of I'm um, now I'm following God and here's a man who is uh, um, you know essentially an atheist um, or believes he is, and so you know he can't talk to his friends about me the way he used to and you know taking over the business and all this. So there was still something there, and that continued to heal with me, you know, continuing to question it. But it wasn't until recently. Um, that I went home. Uh, I went on a prison tour. Uh, I go every, you know, couple three months, and I go through. Uh, you know, they call it the East Coast, but it's Ohio <laughs> for me. That's not the East Coast, but I'm close enough, so I fly over uh, once in a while. So this was the last time I hadn't seen them in two years, and um, I showed up at their house in Rhode Island. And when I got there, I actually had some actual healing moving through myself. So I, my parents like kind of greeted me. It was about nine o'clock at night, and I said, "Hey guys, listen." If you hear me crying downstairs, don't worry. I'm just letting some healing move through. And my father, you know, makes a comment. Yeah, right. Good luck with like my mother not getting involved. Good luck with that. And they kind of go upstairs. And so the next day we're out to lunch and I'm sharing. My mother asks me, you know, she's very interested. What What do you mean about the healing moving through? So I tried to explain to her that allowing this, these emotions to uh, come up rather than judgment, you know, tried to give her a context about, you know, allowance of this stuff. And, uh, in my perception, my father is arms crossed at the table, looking out the window, looking at his phone, like this guy's not paying attention, you know, or doesn't care, you know, but this man, <laughs> I realize now he is always paying attention. <laughs> and so the very next day, I was only there for two days. It was a Sunday night. And this was, uh, this was only six months ago. I sat at the kitchen table and, uh, my father had lost a friend in Rhode Island, one of his, what he calls cronies, uh, old fishing friends down there. And my father opened up to me at the kitchen table and he started to cry. <laughs> and I mean, quivering chin, something I've never witnessed. And when this happened, you know, that sense of the spirit filled me. And I was like, whoa, like, and all I did was hold the space. I didn't say anything. I was just like, this is what all my training was for. <laughs> and I sat there and don't you know, that was the moment. That was the only moment in my in life that I felt my father approved of me by this simple act of <laughs> my father showing that he trusted me enough to express. And something happened in my mind at that moment. And I was like, wow, it is not what I thought. I could have worked for 40 years, retired, done everything and still never gained it. And by following God's path and this simple act of two people joining together was when I felt it. And uh, so that's been the most profound shift. <laughs> gradual in my uh, awareness with my forgiveness so far. How beautiful and satisfying that moment is. And it reminds me of one of my favorite lines from the course, when I am healed, I am not healed alone. Mm -hmm. 
our minds are joined and we we know that as students of A Course in Miracles, we accept it, but we have to constantly remind ourselves to move into it. And it's when we have experiences like that that we realize our minds are one. And in your particular case, and everyone is different in their ego, but in your particular case, you both were in spirit at exactly the same moment. And it was only through the act of his vulnerability and maybe maybe even at times he was afraid of you. <laughs> that has happened to people before. I've realized it happened to me. Um, that he realized he could let all of that go. So sometimes the past, letting the go of the, of the past is an actual exercise that we perform over and over again. And sometimes... It just manifests like that. And thank you so much for telling us that. Mm, thank you. Yeah, that is such a beautiful story, Jeffrey. And in, in your story in particular, it's just so clear that you, I was kind of visualizing like a train track, like, and how you just kind of, you just went onto a different track after the, you know, that rehab experience with your parents there. Like you didn't go back to work. You turned your life over. I, what is this third step is made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. And you took that step very literally, it sounds like, mm. and uh, move, moved over to a total spiritual way of life and service. What, one thing that um, you mentioned there that I didn't want to let pass is that you said, I want to let that up. I want to let this, this emotion, these emotions up and these, these feelings up. And we don't talk about that too much. Um, you know, the, our daily life is what the course calls the, the dream we gave away. And the, what you're referring to, I think, is the, the dream we, we dream in secret, the, mm -hmm. the unconscious mind and what's down there. Can you just talk about like what, what you're meaning when you're saying you're letting that up more specifically? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's exactly what you said. Um, it is the unconscious, the, the dream we, we dreamed in private. But again, I see them all as these um, these emotions or beliefs that you know are unquestioned. And sometimes when I hold on to them, they come up as strong emotion when I'm not willing to let them go. And so the process that again, I've learned it through you know the twelve steps and the Course in Miracles. I see them. You know, you said they're they're very. Um, I see them as identical, actually. That they, um, you know, the twelve steps to calls calls it causes and conditions. The Course in Miracles says obstacles to peace. But I'm just trying to clear the channel so that I can hear his voice to direct me. And, you know, I've had the, the fortunate uh, time in community where I've been able to allow those emotions in an environment of, you know, what they call uh, expression sessions. And we use something called the clarity process where, you know, without judging and you see your brother not judging it. Well, when I'm judging it in my own mind, that's what holds on to it for me. So as long as I'm labeling these things that I feel, I'm not willing to feel them or, or release them, you know, just to at least bring them up into my awareness because I've hidden them so for so long. And so that's really all I meant by it was, um, you know, just allowing what is to, you know, how I feel. Um, you know, my biggest experience with that was, uh, I know Judy has seen uh, Take Me Home. Um, and in that movie, I had to face a huge, uh, a huge belief. And uh, there was a belief in betrayal. Um, yeah. something that I had, uh, experienced in prior relationships and I knew <laughs> that it wasn't going to go away or I could just make a decision in mind that, yes, I can trust people. Now that's not, 
you know, that experience for me that I spoke of didn't stay like people like Eckhart Tolle or whatever. I had the awareness of it for quite some time, but then these beliefs came back to my mind and I have to walk back through them and question them and see that they're not true. And, you know, that was a big time for me to face that belief. And let me tell you, if you were around me for that month, I was, I had a lot of emotion coming up and a lot of, um, anger, jealousy, hatred, um, you know, which is ultimately all self-hatred, but this is the way it shows up for, for me at least. Wow. You know, Jeff, you mentioned or alluded twice already to, your life's work now, and you also talked about a prison tour. Do you want to tell us a bit about your work in the prisons? Sure. Yeah. So I, um, I had heard uh, a while back, it was actually in San Francisco. I went up to the uh, Miracle uh, Community Miracle Center when they put on that one, uh, their convention in San Francisco. I went to support uh, David Hoffmeister. And when I was there, I started to hear the words prison ministry. And I didn't know what it meant at the time. And a couple other people even said something to me at, Hey, are you taking over Joe Wolf's ministry? And I was like, what are these people talking about? And so it was that time that it first came into my mind. And then um, a prisoner from Ohio wrote to David, his name is Dale Crow. He was a heavyweight uh, boxer contender that uh, went inside for over 20 years. And I started communicating with him. And continued to hear this uh, this in my mind that uh, I, I should start a prison ministry, and I didn't know what it meant even then. And so, over the past uh, year and a half, I've been here in Nevada, and that's what I've been uh, devoting my time to. Um, and I've started a nonprofit here. I've, uh, you know, with COVID, I wasn't allowed in the prisons in Nevada. And at first, I was like, "Wait, so what do you want me to do if I'm here and I can't go in?" and and so it was one-on-ones. And so I started building um, these relationships. And for me, it started with Dale. And I was like, wait, my relationship with God is my relationship with my brother. So my whole prison ministry is this one relationship. And when I focused on that and every call we had, you know, that came in, it was like, it started to expand. And so now, you know, I work with prisoners in many states, um, Connecticut, Florida, Texas, Ohio, Indiana, and it seems that it's starting to expand, but right now, most of it is one-on-one work. I have video calls with them. I have uh, telephone calls every day from, in fact, this is my time. I, uh, they all know or should know that I'm talking with you guys today, but from from 10 o'clock to one o'clock is the window that they, uh, they call me during the day so I can be present and settled at my desk when they call. And then of course, a lot of uh, snail mail, a lot of uh, letters go out. And then I go on tours and I visit them one-on-one um, to just kind of go deeper into some of these topics. And it has been so rewarding. And I work with people that are in for the rest of their life. I work with people that I never would have had a chance to uh, in, interact with and question these beliefs on such a deep level. I have this one guy, uh, Rob, who went in at 19 and he got a 51 year sentence for a nonviolent crime. And so he's got a huge belief that the system has, you know, has treated him badly. You know, beware of the temptation, perceive your brothers as unfairly treated. Well, this is a great opportunity to question that one. And the last time I sat with him, he was able to start to question it. 
And uh, let me tell you, at first it was arms crossed, sit back, you know, the <laughs> fire. But beyond that, I can see a glimmer in this guy's eyes and he wants it. And, you know, I started him off with like when we first started, I started him off with like the peaceful warrior. Now he's reading the course. He's into every lesson. He's calling me, asking me what this means and this sharing his experiences. And now he's getting down to the deeper beliefs and he's starting to question this one that the system, you know, so he can really get in touch with, you know, what we all want is that freedom of the mind. And, and he's a great uh, example of it. And I actually just got the letter that will be opening up here in Nevada. So in the state that I'm in, I can't do one-on-ones. I can only do sessions. So in the state of Nevada, um, I'm going to start off in the north. I have four facilities that I've been accepted into by the chaplains because I'm able to go in through the religious services since I received a minister symbol from Living Miracles. So I go in through the chaplain's office and I'm able to go weekly and have these guys come in to take them through uh, A Course of Miracles, you know, start them off. And yeah, that's kind of where it's at right now. And yeah, it's new every day. I'm just trying to follow the guidance with every uh, with every moment. Oh, Jeff, I'm sitting here with my mouth open because you're bringing back so much of my past. In 1982, uh, a very, very interested Course in Miracles student uh, who was a lawyer approached our tiny, tiny foundation for inner peace. It was just at the time my husband, Bob Scutch, my ex-husband and I, and he came over and said, I have access to the prisoners at um, San Quentin because we're in California. And Bob Scutch was very interested, he said, in what way? And he said, I want to bring them a course of miracles. Can you supply me with books? And Bob said, well, certainly, we, we have been sending books to people in prison as a gift of love or a scholarship copy since we first published it. And yes, of course, it turned out that over the next few years, my ex-husband went with this other Bob <laughs> into the prisons uh, every week. Hmm. And we actually filmed a group that was part of the early film called the story of A Course of Miracles, part one and part two. One is the forgotten song. The second part is the song remembered. The forgotten song is the whole story of A Course of Miracles and how it came to be with Bill Thefford, who was one of the two co-scribes telling the story. And part two is different people in those early days who were taking the course into their lives and using it in their, uh, not only in their healing, but in their professions. And we picked a bunch of them, and one of them was the prison group. So I was there at the filming, you know, and I was in a few times and watched what they were doing. And it was so moving. And maybe a year after that, I get a letter, dear brother, because, <laughs> of course, calls us brothers. Dear brother, uh, I am a lifer at Louisiana State Prison, and I want to tell you I read an article in Psychology Today In fact, it was a cover story, and it said, The Gospel According to Helen. And this magazine caught my eye because I said, wow, I know about that magazine. I'm not too interested in it, but what's the gospel according to Helen? So he started to read a pretty negative article about the whole scribing and the story and what A Course in Miracles was about with more tongue-in-cheek than experiencing uh, say, 
uh, appreciation of the course. He said to me in the letter, if this national magazine could diss this course, whatever it is, I got to have it. <laughs> and I found out that my my new brother, Wesley Saunier, was quite a rebel. And he was uh, imprisoned at the age of 18 because of a bar fight when someone, and he has said, I was a runty guy and someone attacked the young woman I was with and I lost it. There was a knife from on the top of the bar where they're cutting lemons. And I just picked it up and I plunged into him because I had, I couldn't possibly fight with him or protect her. So it was a crime of passion, but he got life. Mm. And we were in contact uh, a few letters a week. And eventually he would call me collect every Thursday. Mm. And we became as one. And when my husband and I had to go visit his stepmother who lived in Mississippi at a little gathering, I met a guy who had his own plane and I said, something about Wesley, and he was interested. He said, I'll fly you into the prison. So we were flown into the prison, my husband and I, and the chaplain greeted us and the warden greeted us. And then we were introduced in person finally to Wesley. And he and I had two hours to talk, to meditate together, and to realize when we saw each other, we looked totally beyond our bodies. We just saw this love that had been exposed between us and augmented over the years of talking and also of writing. And actually, the chaplain and the warden, he finally came up for parole, which I thought was impossible. And many people wrote about the dramatic change in this young rebel who was always very uh, argumentative and people didn't even like to be in the room with him, who was leading a Course in Miracles group at the prison himself. And he actually was paroled. And the first thing he wanted to do was to come and live with me, <laughs> which wasn't probably the best idea. And it turned out the Holy Spirit knew what it was doing. And he and I did not. And it was right for him to stay where he was born and go through healing with a lot of people. And in the end, and this is not a sad story, in the end, he and his brother stole their uncle's station wagon and since he was on probation, they were both put back in prison. And he died not long after that of a stomach ulcer. He said to me, my life's work was in the prison. And once they released me, I had no function. Mm. Amazing what happens in life. And mm. so you can understand why I'm so drawn to what you're doing and so grateful, so very grateful that there are people like you, Jeff, who know and listen to what they are given to do as their life's work mm. and touch so many people by it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that story, Judy. That's, uh, that's one I'm sure I'll share with, <laughs> with the guys. And, you know, Dale being my first, uh, the first one I started the relationship with, today he is in charge of programming for the entire prison he has classes twice a week with over 15, 20 students arriving to each one. I send the course and <laughs> into all those guys. And it's just, it's really blossomed. And even Dale is up this 27th. Uh, he has a judicial review. And, you know, that's what we look at. I say, hey, let's watch the expectations. And he's like, wherever your work is supposed to be, you might need to spend the next four years. That's the remainder of his uh, sentence. Yeah. He, and he, he literally is so open-minded. He's like, yeah, wherever he wants me, you know, and it's just such a change to watch, watch that grow up. And it's like, 
around me, you know, uh, as a reflection of my own mind. And I just, uh, I'm actually going to uh, order, uh, I may call Bob, because uh, I can't get a book into this one prison in Florida. And this gentleman, oh my God, the humbleness of this guy. So I receive, I watch a video on YouTube of a gentleman from California that stood at his sentence, at this guy's sentencing and said, I forgive you. I'm studying this book called A Course of Miracles and I forgive you for, and it was the murder, it was a double homicide and it was the murder of his brother. And so I watched that video. And so I heard, okay, let me send, send this guy a letter. And I sent him a letter and he responded instantly. And he's got life without parole in Florida. And he's just like, yes, I'm very, in-. I told him I saw the video and I said, do you remember a guy mentioned a book called this? And he goes, I'm very interested. I want to know what you're teaching. I'll give you updates exactly where I'm at. And so we've been trying to get, I've been trying to, you know, some prisons don't take Amazon and all different things. So I have to get one into, and that's, that's what I have to do after this call, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and so it goes. Yeah. Don't, you, don't you sometimes find yourself wearing a smile of gratitude? Oh, very often. In fact, I have a letter on my desk right now from a gentleman who I went and visited in Houston. And he also sends me, every time he sends me a correspondence, there's an update. I'm on this section of the text and this section of this lesson. And, you know, this is what's going on in my mind. And so this one is about, he was up for his, um, he's got this situation in Texas as a yearly um, standing for parole and he got refused. And so the first paragraph is maybe three sentences with the complaint, like, yeah, and I, this and this, and then straight into gratitude. I have this, I have you, I have a loving and supporting, and he just went straight in and I'm reading this, like (laughs) bursting over. Here's a guy that just got told he's got to stay in prison. And his answer is to tell me what he's grateful for. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's it's yes, I have that smile of gratitude quite often. Every time I walk to the mailbox, too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we share that. I, too. Well, just keep on doing what he tells you to do. Obviously, we are all so grateful for it, even people who don't know about it. Indeed. Jeff, one more tip I was hoping to get out of you here before we wrap up, and that is we're all tempted to, uh, you know, believe in this dream. And sometimes we get caught up in anger and guilt and we forget it's like the course seems like a million miles away and we just want to, you know, we want to jump in the mud and just get all dirty and just feel the pain and we forget about it. How do you bring yourself back? How do you kind of stop, drop and roll and bring yourself back to course principles when that, when you get into that state? Sure. Um, yeah, I actually have a little, uh, what works for me and it's actually what I, um, I started this little service session thing for what I, I teach what I would learn. So I teach the people what I do to, to get back to the present moment, you know, and I actually use, uh, this starts with this soon as I wake up every day. And of course, if I drift from it, I go back to it, but there's seven sections of the course that I resonate very highly with. And I practice those, like I read them each morning, not the full thing, a paragraph from each. Um, And those are the ones that kind of just reel me in, you know, and the second one of those is the problem and the answer. And if I just read that, that section, I mean, he literally tells me there, (laughs) you know, you may think this course is hard, but have you done it, Mm -hmm. you know? And so if the, the, 
the three that I use to keep it even more practical is problem and the answer, which comes out of chapter 11. So I read that just to remind myself that, wait a minute, am I, do I want the, because most of the time I want the problem. That's my problem. <laughs> and so I read problem and the answer, and that gives, gets me back to like, oh yeah. And then I go straight to setting the goal and rules for decision. And if I practice those things, they literally, I mean, setting a goal is literally in rules for the decision as well, the way that's set up, but he literally guides me, um, guides me back to the moment, you know, and I am a huge advocate of rules for decision. I shared how I got to this point. It was by following directions in the big book of uh, 12-step program. Well, (laughs) that's what I need to continue to do is follow directions. And there, for me, that section works for me because there is nothing more practical than what he says in that section. And I can actually see, it brings me to a place where I can see that I'm valuing the valueless. It actually shows me, you know, even the introduction to that section in chapter um, 30 tells me that uh, I have to make this a habit. And so that I try to do that. And when I lose my way, he tells me in there, perhaps at least I can decide I don't like the way I feel right now. So it's just another, you know, it's an in-depth way for this complex mind to um, return to being happy rather than right. Cause that's all that's going on in those moments. And so I'm eternally grateful for that section. Cause that's the one that I always talk to people and work with people to get them back to the moment. So that would probably be my answer to your question, Matt. Perfect. Very helpful. Very practical. Judy, any comments? Oh, I want this to continue. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I really, really do want to thank you, Jeff, for everyone who's listening. And certainly on behalf of Matt, who tells you so, and myself for helping lift us Mm. to being able to feel what you're doing, to be part of it through you, and to just be so very, very grateful. Mm, thank you. Thank you both. This is, uh, this has been an honor. Well, Jeff, before we let you go, please give out your URL for the prison work you're doing and let people know how they can connect with you. Sure. It's last L A S T dash step S T E P.org last step.org with a dash in between. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for your miracle voice coming on and sharing about your stories of healing, how you got into this. This was very moving for me, and I'm sure the listeners feel the same way. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye. Thanks so much for listening today. Please subscribe to Miracle Voices by hitting the subscribe button on your podcast app. If you are enjoying these conversations, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you use. And lastly, please visit us at miraclevoices.org and join our newsletter so we can stay connected. Until the next podcast, I want to leave you with my favorite course quote, when you want only love, you will see nothing else. Nothing else.